I am a parent. I am the parent of three. I'm the father of three children, a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 4-year-old. Active children. I didn't get non-active children. I only got active kinds. And, and from time to time as a parent, there is a part of me, I want to rely on the school system. I want to rely on church. I want to rely on Dora the Explorer to give my kids what they need. Dora, listen to Dora. She's going to tell you to be honest, honey. Pay attention. Because you know what? A lot of times as a parent, I'm just tired. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I get tired. I work. And so, you know, it seems like I'm always doing laundry. I'm the laundry guy in my house. Okay. So I get up at six o'clock in the morning and it's, you know, I regrettably, it's not my Bible. That's the first thing. The first thing that happens is a load goes into the washing machine. And then I sit down with my Bible and I, I start to talk to Jesus. And then I hear the washing machine go beep, 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 cycle done. So, you know, then I got to get up because I'm always doing laundry. I was gone for four days a couple of weeks ago. I did all the laundry before I left and I came home. And do you know what? There was seven loads. What? You know, and Jillian had gone through like all of the towels. It's like, honey, really? It was just four days. All of them? You know, and there's like 20 of towels, dirty big towels. Okay, so, you know, it's always, and at the end of the day, I don't know if you have this experience, at the end of the day as a parent, okay, you come home, you've worked, you're tired, and your kids, their first question is, what's for dinner? Like, what's for dinner? What are we going to have? Is that like, okay, when you say soon, does that mean like in 15 minutes or is that like 30 minutes? Or is it, okay, so we're not going out, so what are, you know, what are, what's for dinner again? And, you know, because they're calculating, they want to know is, am I going to enjoy this dinner? Am I, you know, should I count on eating other things, snack now, you know, because I'll be hungry later, what's going on? Okay, so that plays out, and often I don't have the energy to do what it is that I want to do. And so I'm tempted, I'm tempted, and I, and I want to rely on these other entities, you know, church, school, Dora, you know, to give my kids what they need. And, but I've come to a realization as a parent, I can't rely on school. I can't rely on church. I can't even rely on Dora. And she can make magic bridges, you know, to give my kids what they need. Um, You know, a generation ago, a generation ago, uh, the Boy Scouts, you know, my neighbors, my parents' neighbors, they were all working together and they all kind of had the same values. But today it's, it's all over the map and the values are different. And I can't rely on other people to give my kids what my kids need because everybody's values are different. Um, And as a parent, I know I have to do something, but sometimes it's like, okay, so what is that something I should do? I feel that same kind of tension as a Christian, as a Christian. Uh, I I have discovered that I can't rely on church programs or even billboards that say, hey, would love to hear from you this week, God. People are driving down the road, you know, 60 miles an hour. Boom. Oh, man, I should check in with God. You know, I can't rely, I can't rely on those things for, for lost people, for people who have given up on God because it's not working. And again, a lot of times it's because I'm tired. Again, I'm just speaking for me. I don't know what it's life, like in your life, but occasionally, you know, um, per, you know uh, person A comes along my life and, you know, they're lost. They're disconnected from God. And, and there's a part of me and I'm tired. I don't want to invest the energy in the relationship. I don't want to, you know, that's, there's that tension. Okay. I don't want to, this is going to take time. I don't know if I really want to love and serve the way I need to love and serve and the way God wants me to love and serve. And so there's this temptation and I want to rely on other entities. I want to rely on other places and it, and it's not working. Uh, I can't, I can't rely on churches. I can't rely on billboards. I can't in the past, a generation ago, you could kind of rely on gravity. Gravity would bring people to church on Sunday. It was kind of like, it worked just like gravity. It's Sunday, time to go to church. Bing! Everybody went. 
Nobody does that anymore, do they? I mean, there is no gravity in church, you know, pull in America. It's, if anything, gravity's in the opposite direction. And so as a Christian, I know I need to do something. But again, the, the issue is what? what? What do I do? How does that work out? I believe there are two big problems. There are two big problems that blight the church and blight America and that have the potential to really make this not a great place to live. And those two problems are, one, parents are busy and stressed and they're underwater and for whatever reason or whatever number of reasons, they're not investing what they want to invest in their kids. And they're relying on schools and sports teams and all these other things to make up for the difference. And it's not working. It's, it isn't working. You, you know, there was a recent study that just came out about college students. Seven out of ten college students cheat. That, to me, says that honesty is not embraced the way it might have once been embraced. Okay? Um, and so... We've got that thing playing out, okay? Parents, you know, uh, parents, the default setting of relying on other things isn't working. And the other problem is that um, there are people all over the United States and their impression of Christians is this. Christians are hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're anti-gay, they're just not fun to be around. Trust me, I've been around some of them, no. And, and that's the mindset that chunks of people have. And there are people who have that mindset right here in Nicholasville, right up there in Lexington, and believe it or not, in Wilmore, especially in Wilmore. They have that mindset. And okay, and, and, and church programs aren't going to do it. And so what, what's the solution? I believe you're here, if you're a regular, if you're a member, if you're a partner of Generations, you're here to help solve those two problems. You and I together are here to, to help parents pass on their faith to their kids the way parents want to pass on their faith to their kids. You and I are here to help Christians develop relationships and leverage them so that they can lead someone to Jesus Christ and to the life that God wants them to live, the best way to live. God wants to use you and I for that. Um, and that's part of my story. I, I was an executive pastor back in the day, and I was putting in 50-hour work weeks, and I was gone six nights out of the week, and I was always, always, always working. Not because I wanted to be a workaholic, but I needed to be a workaholic to keep all the plates. I was trying to keep spinning, spinning. <laughs> Okay, and I remember, and I've told this story before, I remember the evening I was going out for yet another church meeting, and my four-year-old, then four-year-old son says, Daddy, do you have to go again? It was the again part that kind of echoed, you know, the camera pans out, and you hear, again, 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 you know, <laughs> I stink as a dad, oh, okay, and I, and I real, and that was the moment for me that was like, okay, this life isn't working, and, and I saw it as a pastor. I saw it with the Christians that would come into our organization. There was kind of this implicit contract. Whew. Okay, we showed up. Here are the kids. Do something with them. Give them some faith. Have them be champions for God. We, we, we saw it play out in youth ministry. Here's our teenagers. Please make sure they don't get pregnant or get someone pregnant. And, and we wanted them to be at least a little honest when they're done. Thank you. We'll see it, you know, eight. <laughs> okay? And, and the contract doesn't work. It's not working, Okay? Um, and the, the other thing is I've met so many people along the way in life over the years and, and they were turned off to Christians. They were turned off to Christianity. But then in the process of getting to know them, uh, and Jenny and I have done this intentionally with all kinds of different people and all kinds of different backgrounds, non-church people. And what normally happens is as they get to know me, as they get to know us, at some point along the way, I hear some version of this. I knew you were a pastor... But, I'm like, well, what do you mean, but? 
well, um, you're different. And that's usually when I do my line, I know I'm really good looking, aren't I? And then they immediately correct me. No, <laughs> no, that's not it. It was, and then they'll spell it out. I thought you would be judgmental the way they all are. I thought you would think that you were better than me, and you don't. I thought that, and they start filling it out. And we can have dialogue now, and we can talk about God and faith and, and what's really real about life and how life really works. And you can do this. is isn't just me, okay? So I want to wade into what's really important today. And to do that, I want to be in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, today I want to have the main thing be the main thing. And I want to teach on what Jesus considered to be the most important commandment. And if you're a regular generation, you're like, don't we do this at least once a year? Yes, we do. And there's a reason for that. If Jesus thought something was really, really important, we should talk about it like a lot because <laughs> it's really, really important. Okay, so Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 34. To put this into context, uh, Jesus is kind of interfacing with a crowd of people and different members of what I call the God squad are trying to get Jesus into trouble. So they're asking him trick questions to get him to say something that the Romans will get upset with or the Pharisees will get upset with or that somebody somewhere will get upset with, okay? So they, they bring about taxes. They talk about taxes. They talk about resurrection. And now they're talking about which commandment is the greatest. And this is verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Oh, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, if you've never really taken out a piece of paper and recorded all of them that are in the first five books of the Bible, I can save you the hassle right now. There are 613 commandments listed out from in, the, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. And in Jesus' day, uh, you know, the, the trained rabbis, they would all have debates on, well, now this one's more important than that one, but that one really only comes to play if this is the case, but never if that's the case, and you should always do it the second Tuesday, but never with your mother-in-law. You know, and... And on and on it would go, okay? So there, that's how it went. And so he's, he's setting it up. Okay, so which of the 613 is most important? Knowing, of course, that whatever he says, there's going to be some faction that's upset. And so Jesus launches his response uh, in verses uh, 37 and following. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He pulls a sly one. He quotes what's called the Shema, because in Hebrew, the first word of that is Shema, which means listen or hear, O Israel. And the Jews of Jesus' day would say this out loud twice. Not going to get in trouble with that answer, are you? If you're saying it twice every day, yeah, I guess that's important. I say it twice every day. <laughs> okay, so love the what? So let's get into that. Okay, this is this is taken from another part of the Bible, and we're going to get into that. But he tells them, love God with everything you've got. Don't hold back. I mean, that's let me summarize what he's saying there. Love God with everything you have. Don't hold back, and love your neighbor the same way. And in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus 
kind of demonstrates, in case you're confused about who your neighbor is, let's spell this out for you. A neighbor is anybody you come in contact with who has a need. Bing, there's your neighbor, okay? Thank you, you know, Jesus provide that kind of clarity. Um, and he's not just talking about any kind of love. I know in our culture, and it's Valentine's Day, what, tomorrow, okay? So, you know, love, and, you know, we have a lot of definitions for it. And love can mean so many different things, can it? You know, I love UK. I love my wife. It's not the same, <laughs> right? Okay? When, when you hear Jesus use the word love, put it in the context of Jesus and, and just remind yourself, okay, when he's using this word, what he probably means is how he loved people. And how did Jesus love people? How did God love people? By having their best interests at heart, by literally sacrificing himself for them so that they could experience God's best. There it is. There's love. Okay? And so love is other-focused. Um, love is helping people live the life that God designed uh, life to be lived. Um, and so Jesus is saying, okay, fine. You want me to summarize? It's about relationships. It's about your relationship with God and your relationship with people. There it is. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about lists. It's not about making sure that you don't walk so far on a Sabbath. It's about people. Okay? So what is this Shema? What is this thing? Okay? Well, let, back in the book of Deuteronomy, it's found in Deuteronomy 6. So when Jesus answers this question, what's the most important commandment? He's actually quoting something from the Old Testament. And it's in Deuteronomy 6. And it's spoken by the, the big character of the Old Testament, Moses. And uh, Deuteronomy 6 is a speech that Moses gives at the very end of his leadership. God has told Moses, hey, you know what? The Israelites, they're going to go into Canaan, but you know what? You're not. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for helping you know, me deliver my people out of Egypt for being an instrument. Thank you, Moses. Um, but you're done. You're going to come home in just a little bit. Um, but I'll let you give one more hurrah for the troops and for the crowds. And so this is the speech that he gives. And in chapter 6, it's not like anything else that Moses talks about. If you read the other stuff of Moses, it's tabernacle, it's here are the rules and here are the lists and make sure the priest wears it this way and again, never on a Sunday and never with your mother-in-law and all that other stuff that comes into play. But here it's different. Here it, 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 it really, he, it's like he knows. I only got a little bit of time. You're about to go on, and you're about to go on without me. I want to make sure you know what's really important. And this is what he says in chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Okay, you've got to obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. You and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey these decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Listen closely. Listen closely, Israel. Be careful then all will go well with you, and you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. This isn't about you. It's not just about you. It's about your kids and your grandkids. It's about the next generation. And the land flowing of milk and honey, saying, look, I know the life ahead of you is going to be really prosperous and good. You're not going to get manna from God every morning like you have been. There's not going to be something tangible in your face going, oh, yeah, my very life is because of God. You have the temptation to drift. You have the temptation to go on as if God's not really real. I want to make sure you get something that's really important. And then he launches into it in verse 4. Listen, O Israel, Shema Israel. Listen, 
The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Okay, God's it. Not anything else. Not money. It's not stuff. It's not what you think it is. It's God is our God. And then verse 5, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Love Him. Love Him with everything you've got. Don't hold back. In essence, he's saying, write this on your hearts. Okay? And then verse 7 through 9, he gets into something a little strange. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jews for years took this literally, and they would make little phylacteries, uh, little things out of leather that they would tie to their fingers and wear on their foreheads, little leather pouches, and they would put the law right in there, right there. What does God want? And it's right there in the pouch, baby. <laughs> okay, they had it memorized too, okay? But they did that. They would put little mezuzo. Uh, on the sides of their doors, and as they would entering, give it a kiss as they're walking in, okay? They did this literally, okay? They took it literally, but what's, what's Moses talking about? He's saying, I want faith to be an everyday thing. For those of you that are parents, you got kids, you got people in your household. Faith shouldn't be just what happens in the temple, Faith didn't, shouldn't just be a Sabbath day thing. Faith is an everyday thing. When you're lying down, when you're waking up, when you're at the table, it should be part of your conversation. It should just be life, how life is lived. And that's what he's fleshing out in those verses. So, so let me draw this in, okay? And let me, let me ask a couple of questions. If you're a parent today, I want to ask this question to you as a parent, from parent to parent. What's one thing, what's one thing that you do regularly to bring faith, to bring God into your everyday family life. Can you think of something? Even if it's just God is great, God is good now, okay? But what's one thing that you do? Because again, you can't rely on these other entities, okay? And if you're, if you're here today and you're, you're a Christian, yes, you are, you love Jesus, yes, you do. Let me ask you this question. Would somebody outside of your life conclude that God's the most important relationship you have? And what would they point to? And, and let's get specific now, and let's talk about some things that you and I can do to walk this out, to, to walk out what's really important, what's most important. Um, as a parent, uh, take every advantage of every Sunday. You know, come, bring your kids, experience kid stuff together if their ages are appropriate for you to do that. We have tools that you can use. If you don't like QBox, if you don't like God time cards, talk to one of us. Let's, we'll figure out something that works. And the purpose of tools are simply to provide you a springboard to do what it is that you want to do anyway, which is have spiritual conversations with your kids and leverage teachable moments so that you're cultivating honesty, you're cultivating a love for God in their hearts. It's what you want anyway. So work with church, work with us. Let's work together to do the very thing that you want to do. And here's why this is important. You and I can't rely on church alone or schools to do it. You want to know why? The culture is discipling your kids and my kids only in a direction that you and I probably don't want. The culture is discipling our children to be consumers. I am here to consume. You are here. I am the customer. I'm always right. You are here to meet my needs. You are here to make my life better. You are here to make me happy. Beep, beep. Okay? No. No, no, no. Our culture is discipling our children to think that if you, if you have a certain income level or a certain job or a certain house, 
you've somehow arrived and you're successful. You know that's not true, don't you? Why would you want your kids to believe it's true? You know, my dad doesn't have much time left, and if he were here today, he would tell you, uh, uh, he's not proud of me because of the diplomas and things that hang on the wall in my office. Doesn't matter. Starting a church, it's great. Doesn't matter. You know what he's proud of? As he's articulated to me, who I am. Who I am as a man, as a father, as a husband. And you know what? He's on target. When my kids grow up, I don't care what they do. I don't care what they do to make money. It, it doesn't matter. What really matters as a parent, I'm telling you, is who they are, who they become. And God wants to use me and use you as parents to leverage that so that they become the people that God wants them to be. And, and here, let's bring it in a little bit for those of us that are Christians. If you're a Christian, I want you to invest relationally. You know, Jenny and I pick some things that we do intentionally so that we have pools of people outside of Generations Land that we can get to know. And there are great people out there. They are. We're all sinners, okay? None of us is perfect. None of us is righteous. That's what the Bible says. There's some, you know, uh, we do a swim team in our neighborhood. I love it. I love the people on the swim team. We do a ballet troupe. And every year I put on an outfit that I find extremely uncomfortable and I dance in public with my wife, which I also find extremely uncomfortable. And I do that because God loves the people in that ballet troupe. And I'm hoping that I can get to know some of them relationally just because they're great people to get to know. And, and, and when you invest yourself, it's not like you have to pretend. Just be yourself and ask questions. I found that as I'm getting to know people in pools outside of our church, all I have to do is, so how is life working for you? Do you, do you believe in God? How does that work? You know, where are you right now? So do you believe in an afterlife? How does that work? People will tell you. If you've earned the right to ask those questions relationally, they're honest. And guess what? They'll ask you what you think. And you can have a conversation and a dialogue about it. It's, it's amazing. Um, but we can't afford, we can't rely on institutions to do that. I don't think that billboards are going to get impact people. It's going to take a person. You want to know why? Because out there in the trenches, there's uh, hostility toward Christians and Christianity. Them Christians, they're judgmental. But when you and I develop a relationship with, with someone in that camp, all of a sudden the stereotype melts away. When we, you know, again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being Moses. It's just about being you and letting God use you. And you know what? In the context of that, all of a sudden they're faced with, you know what? I thought Christians were, but you know what? You're different. And boom, there it is. And you've got your open door to begin having some conversations. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not sure how this works, I want to tell you you're not here by accident. You're not because God wants you to know. I mean, if, if you and I were to sit down and I were to ask you, so you believe in God? And you would say, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I believe in God. And, and, and I were to ask you, well, you believe in the afterlife in heaven? Or, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I don't think this life is all there is. I think there is an afterlife. And if I were to ask you, well, how does that work? And you would pause and go, well, yeah, I, I know what I was told as a kid, but I don't know. You know, I, I think maybe. Guess what? You're not here by accident. God wants you to know. If you want, you can call me this week. You know, or call Isaiah. We'll sit down and we'll talk about it and have an open conversation. Here's why this is important now. I think we're at a pivotal moment in our culture. We are. Churches like Generations are springing up all over the place. You want to know why? Because God wants to do something in America. Because believe it or not, even though we kind of deserve judgment based on how we treat people, 
okay? God still loves Americans. He does. And he wants to do something. And, and families, this whole relying on sports and school isn't working. Churches relying on programming to reach people isn't working. And I think we're at a pivotal moment. Just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine it's 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and we Christians, we have been successful at helping parents pass on their faith to their kids in a vibrant way so that these kids are growing up to become men and strong men and women of God who are living out the virtues we talk about in kid stuff. I'm telling you, they're going to be on the NBC Today show with Matt Lauer because he's not going to retire. You know he's not, okay? And he's going to be there, old Matt Lauer, you know, well, I got to tell you, you know, we, we, we all know what we think of Christians, and they're hypocritical, and we don't like their theology, but by golly, everybody across the country can't stop talking about their kid, these generation of kids. They're compassionate, they're courageous, they're diligent, they're honest. They're just different. And we may not like their theology, we may not like the Jesus stuff, but by golly, parents are envious of the kinds of adults that are being produced by Christians. Wouldn't that be something? Or imagine 10, 20 years from now, it's the case where, you know, the camp that thinks Christians are nothing but, you know, hypocritical, judgmental, da-da-da-da. What if, what if those people know someone personally who's a, a real deal Jesus follower and is living out a life of love and grace, not perfect, but they're living out God's grace and God's love as best they can? What would that do to change things? What would that do to change things in our society and in our country to where Christians aren't necessarily the pariah, but they're seen, you know, we may not like their theology. I'm not convinced Jesus, you know, is God and all that, but man, they're amazing people, aren't they? Wouldn't that be something? As I've been reading through the book of Acts in, in my Bible reading, I'm struck by the fact that, um, you know, they killed Jesus, he came back to life, they stoned Stephen. They were persecuting followers of the way. And yet there's these sentences that come up every so many verses. But they had great favor with the people. Do you know why they had great favor with the people? Because they were communities of love that were generous. And it was in a system, in a context where it was doggy dog, everybody for himself. The Romans are going to keep you down. The Jewish leadership's going to keep you down. Everybody's going to keep you down. They're only going to look out for their own self-interest. And along come the followers of the way. Okay, sure, we'll share. Okay, you have a need? Well, sure, we'll, we, I'll help out. Boom. And within a period of three to five years in the city of Jerusalem, the followers of the way have favor. Why? Because of who they are. I believe it could happen again. I believe it would literally, those two things, imagine how that would change things in our country. It would. It would. And I think God wants you and I to have a role in it. Um, I want to pray for